honestly, because okay, if you follow me, I definitely follow you back. Oh, oops. Hot mic moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. How embarrassing. Are we on the radio? Yes, it seems like we are on the radio, uh, Kirsten. What, what show is this? Who are we? My apologies. Oh, man. We <laughs> <laughs> this is the Review Squared on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. We're no live. way. Yeah, we're live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio. Um, today is Friday, October 15th. That's crazy. This is actually my favorite show that's on Blaze Radio every Friday at 7 p.m. MST. Yes. I'm so honored. It, it, yeah, glad to have you on, Kirsten. <laughs> uh, like, just about every other week. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm glad to be here. Anyhow, yes, glad to have you all tuning in. We've got a jam-packed show for you. I'm Gideon Karaoke. I'm John Brown. And as you heard before, I'm Kirsten Dorman. And have we got a show for you this week? So as usual, I'm going to start us off today talking about the news of the week. So this week, I'm talking about the federal vaccine mandates and Arizona's public universities. If you missed the news, earlier on Friday, Arizona State University, the University of Arizona, and Northern Arizona University all announced that they will be requiring COVID vaccines for all employees of their universities, including student workers, starting on December 8th, according to the Arizona Republic. The three universities employ about 52,000 employees in total uh, across all three, and the mandate does have medical and religious accommodations available. This mandate comes after President Joe Biden signed an executive order on September 5th, sorry, September 9th, I cannot read today, requiring vaccines for all federal contractors, which universities often are, and all the Arizona public universities are, in fact, federal contractors. ASU representatives pointed out that the university receives hundreds of millions of dollars each year from federal grants and contracts, which they say requires them to mandate vaccination. The Office of Arizona Governor Doug Ducey reiterated that he continues to oppose vaccine mandates, saying that the vaccine is a choice and is reviewing the university's decision to see what could be done about it. On this show, we have maybe beaten this horse of COVID vaccines and the simple fact that you should get one already well past dead. But <laughs> you know what? Until this pandemic has actually been kicked to the curb, maybe we haven't. So I'm going to turn it over to the panel. What are your thoughts on this announcement? I mean, is it beating a dead horse if the horse is now just a pile of dust <laughs> because you've beaten it so much? Um, I think the message from my point of view, at least, remains the same. If you are medically able to be vaccinated um, and it genuinely go does not go against any of your like genuinely held religious beliefs, I think you should be vaccinated. I don't think there's an excuse other than those two two things, um, especially not at this point. We've seen the damage that you know COVID has done to communities, to economies, to lives, and I just think that. I think I've said this before on the show, it feels very selfish um, to put others' lives at risk because you want to feel smart. I, I don't really still understand, as much as we talk about it, what the motivation behind all of this really is, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But 
I think it's also important to take a look at the side of the conversation when it comes to the pandemic of it's not just a whether you live or die kind of disease. Mm -hmm. It's whether you live and live with complications or whether you die a lot of the time, especially in more severe cases. That's what we've seen at this point. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think misinformation plays such... It's a deadly role in a sense, because as we see, um, we have a bunch of radio show hosts, uh, I know towards in August and late summer, who are spreading that they weren't, I mean, they weren't technically, I don't know if you would say they're spreading misinformation. They just were saying that they weren't going to get the vaccine and they were just talking about it and everything and then you see a story about them in like the local newspaper saying that they got COVID like two weeks after they were saying that they weren't going to get the vaccine. And I remember there was this one, he was a conservative co-host from Florida. He tweeted something about the vaccine. And I think about three weeks later, he ended up in the hospital with COVID and it was really, it was a really bad case and he ended up dying and misinformation kills. It really does. It's deadly because just think of how many lives we could save. And I know NBC did a special on interviewing people in the ICU who had COVID and who did not get the vaccine. And, you know, it's really sad when you look at it. So I think the right move is to be made here where um, ASU, NAU, and U of A's decision. I think there's more colleges. I think it's all Arizona colleges, right, Gideon? Yeah, it's just the public ones. Those just, are, yeah, Arizona, funny enough, despite our size, we only have three public universities. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, you know, I know ASU over the summer, they tried implementing if you did not get the vaccine right before, I think this was back in June, that I remember you had to do the daily health check like every day. You had to get yeah. COVID tested twice a week. Had to wear a mask. You had to. There was it, it was, was random COVID mandatory random COVID testing. Yeah, yeah, it was really tight protocols. And then the governor issued the executive order, and now it's recommended. So, mm -hmm. I think this is a good step. Yeah, I mean, I will say on a personal note, getting vaccinated has made my life quite a bit easier. <laughs> Um, I no longer have to do those daily health checks with the university. Mm -hmm. I don't really have to worry about getting COVID tested as much. Obviously, if you're vaccinated and you think you've been exposed to COVID, you should still get tested. Yeah. Um, but it, I haven't had to every time I go out of the house or eat at a restaurant now, I'm not thinking, OK, now I need to make my COVID test appointment, um, which has been much more convenient, you know, and it does bring a little bit of peace of mind just a little bit yeah i i think i know like france is doing like vaccine passports where you have to show mm -hmm. like your covid card to get into places yeah I just you know i think it would be good for the u.s to introduce the vaccine passports hawaii kind of does that where when i traveled there for spring break uh i had to fill out a form on on a website they have set up for traveling to Hawaii, stating where I'd be staying, what my business was and going there. I needed to upload my vaccine card in order to bypass the 14-day quarantine or 15-day quarantine and all mm -hmm. of that. And then to get into restaurants and sit down and eat, 
you have to show them a form of ID and your vaccine card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how most places, that's how every place that I ate operated when I was there. So it is doable. Yeah, it is. In fact, the state of New York actually has a kind of a similar vaccine passport program. In fact, theirs is even more sophisticated. I believe they even have an app for it now where you can just upload it. They Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. If only every state in the U.S. could do that. Yeah. If if we could see how much cases would go down. The United States having a unified response to a problem? Never. Never. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so disappointing, I guess. No, like, yeah, like there's states where that have actually taken, you know, the tackling and curbing of this pandemic seriously. And, you know, while, you know, there's a lot to criticize the state of New York for, especially how, you know, now disgraced governor, former governor Andrew Cuomo handled the pandemic was just shambolic. And I don't think he gets enough shame for it. But like, you know, uh, you know, I'd say more recently, you know, at least their new governor, Hochul, has handled it significantly better. And yeah. they do seem to be taking this deadly seriously, which uh, we've talked about, you know, how Arizona is taking the pandemic. And it <laughs> seems like the governor's a, I'm just going to be straight with you. The governor's a soft anti-vaxxer. He's, he claims, the you know, he's playing this silly little game where it's like, he got the vaccine. He was honest about that. He said, you, you should get the vaccine. And he's like, no, I won't mandate it because you should get the vaccine, which is mm-hmm. no, he's like and he says, like, it's a choice. And like, yeah, the anti-vaxxers say it's a choice, too. I believe it's a choice. I believe it's a choice you should make because we live in a society with other people and there's things you have to do. You have to cede a little bit of your liberty to just be in society with other people. I thought that's the agreement we make. Do you know, I never got why this term political. Why, this is not political. This I mean, is it's a global <laughs> crisis. Right. I mean, John, if how much time do you got? I could tell you, I, <laughs> I could really just go into it. Let's just, there's, for, you know, because we do have to move on at some point, though we do have a little bit of time. Yeah. I will say, that there's two, like, the anti-vax movement has been, it's scary successful at what they've managed to do. The, right. uh, the spaces they've managed to. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, let's be honest, they have a whole political party Bringing now. back the measles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of, I say that a bit jokingly because, I mean, come on, right? But The Disneyland that... outbreak back in 2015, that's a, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think this does have its roots. And this was pointed out to me uh, very recently, actually. And it is kind of something that you notice, I think, implicitly, if you're aware of the New Age movement at all, Mm -hmm. um, with things like spiritual healing and, you know, the very, uh, I don't want to say gentrified, but it feels a bit gentrified way of opening your chakras and doing Reiki and things like that, like energy healing and crystals and you know, hanging up a a dream catcher in your car because it's quirky and neat and taking all these things from these native spiritualities and these indigenous spiritualities and even spirit, like with chakras, that's a, a, an East Asian, um, South Asian, um, concept, right. And taking all these things and blending them together in this new age style of belief system and, Within that belief system, there exists a pipeline to the alt-right. 
and to right-wing extremism, which we don't have time to get into here, but it does exist and it is there. And Mm -hmm. anti-vax sentiment is part of that. Oh, yeah. And so I think that that could be a component as to, and this is personal speculation, all of this, um, but I think that could be a component as to why getting vaccinated for COVID has become so politicized, in addition to everything to do with masks and everything becoming politicized as well. Yeah, especially with that really quickly, with when it comes to masks, and I know this happened last month in Tennessee, where I don't know if you guys heard of it, where this this 15-year-old student, he lost his grandma to COVID um, because I, I, I don't remember the whole story about this. Gideon, you know what I'm talking about. And he was I, pres- I think I know the story. And he was presenting in front of the school board about implementing masks in schools. And these adults were telling him to shut up and they were booing him. Yeah, they were in fact laughing too. Like oh, laughing. laughing. I think I saw the clip the yeah, where he was talking about his, I think it was his grandmother, right? Yeah. yeah. Passed yeah. away. And there was a woman in the background snickering at him. Yeah, yeah. and they were telling him to shut up, and <sighs> they were booing at him. It's like, no matter what you believe about vaccines and things, I don't understand how you could be so heartless to watch someone talk about the death of a loved one and have your response be to giggle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, that's sick. I, I, I feel like that's an easy stance to take on this show. I, yeah. I've said a lot of hot takes. <laughs> that's not one this of This is them. a frigid take. <laughs> it's terrible to laugh at someone who's talking about a, a dead loved one. My gosh. And then, yeah, and then you have, um, what's her name from, I think it was Good Luck Charlie. <gasps> Lee Ann, what is her name? Lee Allen Baker, I think. Yes, her. Who did she play? She was Charlie's mom, if I remember correctly. A nurse. Yeah. Nurse I, Duncan. I think she she lives <gasps> in Tennessee now. And um, I think, don't quote me, but she calls herself a California refugee. She said that at a school board meeting. And I'm like, you are joking. You are joking. What does that mean? I don't know what she I means mean, by I mean, I guess, I think I know what she's start, where she's going with that one. Uh, that sounds to me like she's... Dis, uh, political dissident, uh, to uh, exaggerate the language here a bit, in California, a, a, a California conservative. She just yes. is deeply angry at the way California's got very liberal over mm-hmm. the years, and yeah. I, I think that w- those were the words that she used. I believe it was that, because she was presenting at a school board meeting as well, and I, I just remember her saying something like that. And I don't know, I've seen all those videos on TikTok about her. I don't know if you guys have or not but no no not on tiktok very often where where have you because i mean i've seen something on it i think it just have drifted onto twitter or something at some point like about her right like i'm i'm not like yeah yeah i saw okay. something about her and, okay. and be, being go doing some right-wing talk points i don't know what it talking points i don't know if it was on COVID or whatever but yeah the california refugee one is funny because i'd like to remind people uh I'm no expert on California politics. Uh, I'm not a Californian. I am. I grew up here in Arizona, but I, you know, actually do try to read on California once in a while. Not as liberal as you think, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, it is a back to the main topic. Just kind of wrap it up. Uh, it is deeply disappointing the way, it, you know, like we've said this time and time again, the way that this has been politicized. It doesn't need to be. 
I mean, I mean, we we mentioned Ducey, somebody who I've criticized on this show and probably will continue to until you know Ducey actually does something good on COVID, which I'm waiting, Governor. I'm waiting, uh, and so are millions of other Arizonans. So, you know, with like Governor Ducey, for instance, a couple of years ago, uh, he said like he said that he was for vaccine mandates for children. Uh, when that became, you know, a big, uh, when people, st- the anti-vax movement started bringing up those questions, and now he's kind of backed himself into this funny corner. I remember, like, initially, if you actually recall th- what the governor said on COVID vaccines, he's like, we will not push this untested, you know, unapproved thing. Well, actually, no, I don't think he said untested. Uh, my apologies. I don't want to misrepresent what the governor said here. But he said, we will not, you know, push this unapproved thing until, you know, it gets full approval. It gets full approval. He keeps on him and his uh, PR lackeys keep saying stuff I don't even understand anymore. It's just it's just talking point, talking point, talking point, talking. There's nothing meaningful there, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if you understand, if you've paid attention to anything Governor Ducey has done, it has basically been nonsense talking point, nonsense talking point, whenever he doesn't want to talk about anything. I think one thing, I didn't have this thought, somebody else said this, but I think it rings true for a lot of things in this kind of subject matter, where if you tell me that you want to do your own research, that tells me that, or that you need to do your own research still, um, it says to me that you haven't cared to do any research at all up until this point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that you probably won't care to do any research in the future. Yeah, no, that that stinks. Uh, I mean, you had Kyrie Irving saying that the other day, um, which we're not even going to talk about Kyrie Irving's case. We'll be here all night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have the uh, next show beating down the door to, to be let in. Yeah. Uh, let's just say I'm deeply disappointed in Kyrie Irving. He's actually a nice dude. And... That whole story just bummed me out through and through. Like, yeah, he's he's kind of stupid. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to be honest. Kyrie Irving's kind of an idiot, but uh, that was a new low for him. So, yeah. Anywho, please get vaccinated if you haven't already. Our continuing PSA. And I guess with that, uh, I'm going to hand it off to John to continue on the show. Thank you, Gideon. My story is kind of different tonight. It's more of an entertainment type of story, entertainment news type of story, I would say. So recently, the new series Impeachment American Crimes Story came out. And let me tell you, it is so good. I highly recommend everyone watch it. Um, This series, it's a 10 part series. It's uh, 10 episodes long with one episode coming out each week. It is a limited series examining the national crisis that led to the first impeachment of a U.S. president in over a century. So this series highlights Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, and it tells the stories through the eyes of the women at the center of the event. So Monica Lewinsky, who is played by Beanie Feldstein, Linda Tripp, who is played by Sarah Paulson, and Paula Jones, um, who is played by Anna Lee Ashford. So... All three of these women are in the public spotlight during the 1990s, and the media, the media and these women, oh my gosh, like crossing these, crossing them together, because the media was so different back in the 90s, and the show really highlights that. 
And you can see the power dynamic really in this show of Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. Um, to me, it is so good. I I really enjoy how the show goes through events, and Monica Lewinsky is the executive producer of um, this series, and I think that adds wow. more value that she gets to narrate her own story. Because I just thinking of how much public scrutiny she went through ever since this happened in um, the late 1990s, I think it's really good that she gets to reclaim her story and tell her story. But after seeing this series coming out, there has been talk on social media about whether Monica is a victim or if she was a pursuer onto a married man, a.k.a. Bill Clinton. But let's go back. Monica was an early 20s intern in the White House, and Bill Clinton was the president of the United States and the most powerful man in the world. So, honestly, there's, I mean, it's so difficult because the public, like, I just feel bad for her because the public scrutinized her so much after this happened. And Linda Tripp literally recorded her phone calls with her without Monica's public knowledge. And let me let me mention that Linda lived in Maryland and recording someone on the phone is a felony because it's not a one-party consent state. So Linda technically committed a felony there, oh. but she did get immunity. Um, and I think this series highlights a lot, especially now in 2021. Would it be di- would there be different circumstances now if this happened in 2021 compared to the late 1990s? Especially with internet, the internet is just terrible sometimes. So I want to get the panel's thoughts of what they think about all of this. To your question of whether or not it would be different if this had gone down nowadays, I really wonder because we think we've made all kinds of social process progress and we've had the Me Too movement and we've had the Time's Up movement and we like to think, I believe, that we've become more aware as a culture and to an extent I think that that's true but I also think that there is still a deeply ingrained element of victim blaming in our culture where I don't know that it would have gone so differently had this happened today in the White House Um, whether that be with the same people or whether that be with other people I don't know Um, and I think it is a, a bit of a strange wake-up call specifically in the way of the internet where I saw just the other day on TikTok this person said you know I almost never go on TikTok and this is why the comment sections are some of the worst places you can possibly go on the Mm -hmm. internet specifically because they had posted a video of themselves and their partner and they are in an interracial couple and their comment section was filled with gorilla emojis monkey emojis, racist remarks about them as a couple, racist remarks about their potential children in the future, and all kinds of just nastiness and garbage, frankly. Um, My goodness. Right. And it wasn't like a handful of comments. It was a lot of them. And it just was kind of a wake-up call, in their words, to 
sometimes how we think we've made progress and really there are spaces in in the world not even like in places where you might say oh well people are less educated here mm -hmm. but in in normal spaces quote unquote normal mm -hmm. <laughs> where people still have these frankly archaic attitudes yeah. and so on a subject as nuanced as power dynamics in sexual relationships and coercion mm -hmm. um I don't know that we would have such a different conversation on the public stage if this were to happen today. That's the long and short way of saying that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think Kirsten is right. Uh, and yeah, that story you said, it definitely horrified me, but it didn't particularly shock me because right. the internet is just it can just become a cesspool real fast. Uh, and uh, there's still a lot of people who hold completely archaic and uh, I'm just going to say it, evil attitudes uh, uh, and are just flat out racist. So, yeah, uh, I, I think, Kirsten, to your point, yeah, you're completely correct. I just don't know if it would have been all that different today. Mm -hmm. I've not watched the show, the uh, impeachment, uh, yeah, impeachment. Crime series. Yeah, not yeah. watched it yet. Uh, I watched bits and pieces though because uh, I was with family this weekend and some of them had it on. Watched a few minutes. I, I'm very surprised that they got the the actors like the way they dress them up. They got oh, yeah. them looking the same. The dude they got for Bill Clinton, I forget his name, sounds exactly like Bill Clinton yes. down to the Arkansas drawl, like. Yeah. The acting is decently good from the part I saw, so I, I yeah. was wildly impressed. Uh, so I will, at some point when I have time, actually sit down and watch it. Uh, but yeah, it's unfortunate that I don't think mm -hmm. society... I, I think we have the language now to talk about these things better, mm -hmm. but we uh, still don't know how to use it, it seems. Mm -hmm. We can say yeah. the words, but not know what they mean. Mm -hmm. yeah. And... You know, the way Lew I just want to take a moment and tell you just the way Lewinsky got treated by the media in that era was disgusting. Shameful. Yeah, absolutely shameful. I mean, you had mm -hmm. Jay Leno going on five nights a week saying horrifying jokes about her that, you know, today most people would go like, okay, Jay, take, take a long seat down. <laughs> go uh, touch some grass, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> As they say online. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the show goes, I'm excited to watch it. I haven't show. seen it yet either, but I did see the People versus O.J. Simpson, that show, yeah. and I pretty thoroughly enjoyed it. I mm -hmm. thought it was produced and shot really well. Yeah. I thought, you know, they still took a fairly sympathetic view um, of, of the people involved, all things considered, mm -hmm. and... I really enjoyed the we when we talk about the relationships of women in the media. I can't remember her name, but the lead attorney on Marcia, the prosecution, Marsha Cork, Marsha Cork, the way that they discussed the way that she as a strong feminine figure in the yeah. courtroom was treated by not only like her coworkers or yeah. the people around her in the workplace, but then the media as well. Yeah where I think this is something a lot of women, um, especially women with strong personalities, can mm -hmm. relate to that I found myself, frankly, relating to, where, you know, if you're too strong-willed, you're bossy and you're a B-word that I can't say because we're on air here, um, but you're that. Or if you're too quiet and demure, how are you going to get anywhere? You know, you have mm -hmm. to stand up for yourself and have a spine. 
in the professional world. And yeah. it is very difficult to walk that line. And seeing Marsha grapple with that, especially like I'm not a mother, but I'm sure a lot of mothers out there also mm-hmm. empathized with what she was going through on screen. Yeah, I think maybe this new series will be able to accomplish some of that as well. Definitely. And on that note, um, Impeachment American Crime Story is... Um, it is 10 episodes airing weekly. You can catch it um, weekly on FX on Tuesday nights. And with that, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Review Squared on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. What an intro. Truly, yes. We just have a clip of Careless Whisper by George Michael just as a rejoinder. So, yay. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's specifically under rejoinders. I I love this thing. Uh, Whoever did that years ago, I'm willing to bet. Uh, Thank you. So... Anyways, I'm getting karaoke, and we're back after the half hour. Yeah, um, and everyone else can say who they are, I guess. <laughs> I'm John Brown. And I'm Kirsten Dorman, I guess. <laughs> are you, Kirsten? Um, We're, we're going to go with yes for the purpose of, purpose of the show. Yeah, so, getting all philosophical tonight again? <laughs> um, maybe. If we have the time, perhaps. Uh, So today we're going to go a little bit more freeform. This is news that I haven't quite gotten to sink my teeth into fully yet, but I am super excited to share it with you guys. So in terms of personal burnout by now and this semester here, fall break really could not have come at a better time. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier on, I got to take a trip with a good friend of mine out to Oahu and Hawaii, and we were super lucky to be able to pull that off. We got standby airline tickets and a cheap hotel, and we said, look, we're young. Let's do this thing. So in general, though, I think we can all agree that we just really needed some time to rest. We needed a break. Um, But in terms of the show, Fall Break fell at one of the most inopportune times for my segment in particular, because as The Independent puts it, just last week, a group of roughly 40 ex-police officers, forensic experts, federal agents, journalists, and private investigators who make up the case breakers came out with the ground-shaking claim that they had discovered the true identity of the infamous Zodiac Killer. The group was formed in 2011 by documentarians Thomas J. and Donna Colbert, according to JTAC. I was about to try and give you the alphabet in Spanish there. Um, The purpose of the group, though, is for members to volunteer their time to help agencies with cold case files. Former FBI agents from the group have reportedly described the evidence that points to the individual they've described as being the man behind the infamous moniker as irrefutable. (laughs) Not refutable, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here and talking about it. Reports indicate that there is evidence of a possible DNA match, affidavits, and the alleged killer's personal photos, as well as multiple eyewitness accounts that all point to one man. Gary F. Post, 
According to reports, Post was an Air Force veteran who painted houses for a living and was arrested in 2016 on domestic violence charges. However, a dementia diagnosis meant that he was ruled incompetent to stand trial, and he died two years later in 2018. In case you aren't familiar as some more well-versed true crime fans out there, the broad lineup of the Zodiac Killer's crimes and some of the evidence that points to him and Post being one and the same are as follows. So first of all, it's important to note that there are seven known victims of the Zodiac Killer, and those all span those attacks from 1968 to 1969. Five of those victims died as a result of their encounters with the Zodiac, and their names are Betty Lou Jensen, David Faraday, Darlene Farron, Cecilia Shepard, and Paul Stein. Two of them, though, did survive, and their names are Mike Maju and Brian Hantel, her Hartel, excuse me, Hartnell. My gosh. Reading is hard, especially when you're a journalist. <laughs> um, you read so much, your eyes cannot take it anymore. But... Regardless, from 1969 to 74, the killer taunted the public via handwritten letters that were sent to various local newspapers. And I think it's fair to say that these letters are some of what have launched this case into infamy. Because in the letters, they not only contained taunts toward local law enforcement for not being able to catch him, but there were also threats of further violence if they weren't published on the front page. One other part of this case, aside from the depravity and genuine tragedy of the attacks themselves, that has really made it stand out from the crowd, so to speak, um, in the true crime community has been the ciphers that the Zodiac included in those same letters. He claimed that if solved, the ciphers would reveal his identity. And of the four that we know of, two of them have actually been broken. So one was broken by a high school teacher and his wife shortly after publication, but another one was broken just last year. So about 51 or so years later, unless journalism math, unless my math is completely off, it would be about 51 years um, that that particular code had gone unsolved. There are still two remaining unsolved codes, and professional code breakers obviously have tried and tried and tried again. It's speculated that these codes are actually unbreakable because they're too short, and this isn't unheard of in general when it comes to code breaking. This happens. Um, I know as a fan of ARGs or alternate reality games, this happens a lot of the time by accident where creators will make puzzles for their viewers or participants and they'll have to kind of spoon feed the audience the solution because they accidentally made it way too difficult. Um, and so that's kind of the case here in a way, except this is real life, which is insane. Um, according to reporting by JTA, JTAC, I just want to read you the alphabet in Spanish today. <laughs> There are two murders um, that are thought to be the Zodiac Killer's first victims, and those crimes fall in 1962 and 1969. In 1962, a man named Ray Davis is thought to have been killed by the Zodiac because the killer had called the police prior to the murder and told them that he would be committing a baffling crime. And then he called again afterward to warn police of future crimes that he planned on committing. 
a long rifle and 22 caliber gun were used in this murder, and a 22 caliber weapon was also famously used in the Zodiac killings. Investigators discovered a broken Timex wristwatch, which was believed to have been purchased at a military base. Uh, by the time of this particular murder, Post was an Air Force veteran who was being treated for a gun-related injury at March Air Force Base, which was just 15 minutes from the crime scene. So that already puts him in pretty close proximity to the crime itself. And on top of that, a heel print was found at the crime scene that was confirmed to be a size 6 military-style boot. This is the same size and style of prints found at the sites of our confirmed Zodiac victims and also matches the size and style of what Post would have worn. The coroner who performed the autopsy of this particular victim found four brown hairs that would have belonged to whoever had killed him and Post had brown hair, but brown hair, I think two out of three of us in this room um, have brown hair, so it's not as strong of evidence, but it is still something that points towards post. Then a letter from the killer named The Confession was sent to the police department about a month after the murder. Um, it was typed instead of written, which the Zodiac Killer's letters were handwritten, but it did use similar vocabulary and included the misspelling of the word twitch, which is really interesting because that's such a particular detail, but it has been confirmed to be not from the Zodiac Killer. So there's a point against Post being the Zodiac Killer or this being an early Zodiac murder. Um, and then eyewitness accounts are not as reliable, but the police department that handles the Bates murder said that they did not believe that this was the work of the Zodiac it's it's all very, very complicated. There's a man who refers to himself as an outlaw turned Zodiac whistleblower, and he purports to have been part of what he calls a posse that groomed Post into a killing machine, which that's his words, not mine, but it's it's all very baffling is the word that I'm going to use. And so, in general, his former daughter-in-law reported that two of what are referred to in the research material that I have here as two of his goons had come after her after she divorced his son, and they had basically chased her out of the state. But aside from all of that, the people around him had all kind of brought up the idea he had a former wife who said that she was very sorry that she didn't tell the cops about his past as the Zodiac killer um, and just other things like that where the Zodiac killer in the police composite sketch has what appears to be some very prominent lines on his forehead and Post reportedly has scars on his forehead that are similar and they show apparently that um, they are the same size, shape, and location as the scars in the sketch. If you look at them side by side in a photo, I think it does show pretty clearly. And I think that is probably some of the strongest evidence. But 
this is the closest the case has ever come to be solved. All that being said, and wrapping that very, very long journey we just took together, wrapping that all up, do you guys think that it's been solved? I personally am giving a, a hopeful and tentative yes, probably. But there have been other cases where we think we've gotten our guy and because they're not around to tell the tale or because there's no concrete, there's no nothing to test against something else. You know what I mean? Um, and say, yes, this matches and we can say for certain that this is the same person. I'm, I'm hesitant to give it a full, fully yeah. with my chest, yes. Same here. I would say I can't give it with a full, like fully a confident yes, just like you're saying. But honestly, this has going, been going on for such a long time that, you know, I wish I could give it my full yes, but I just can't. Gideon, what do you think? I'd say likewise. This has been a long time coming, really. And yeah, it, it's almost incredulous it took this long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I guess this man, uh, uh, Poster, will never get to hear his end of the story, whether he did it or didn't, because, you know... Uh, yeah, he's he's going to take that one to his grave. I think he already has, right? And, yeah. that, and that's kind of the frustrating thing about it. Because Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State killer, we did have him around. Um, I believe he's still alive, actually. Uh, or let me see. It looks like, yeah, he's still alive. My gosh. So we do have him around to ask questions. Um, the Golden State killer being someone else who was committing murders in the, I think the mid seventies to mid eighties. And he was also operating in California largely where when he was caught, they were able to go and arrest him and ask him questions. And it was much easier to point and say like definitively, yes, we can put this person on trial and say, yes, this was the killer. This was our guy. But in the case of Post and the Zodiac Killer, like you said, we just don't have that. We don't, there's nobody to ask questions. He's already taken this to his grave. Yep. And I guess here we are. Right. Uh, but it is frustrating, I will say, to see um, outlets kind of like, if you're a journalist or if you're familiar with journalistic practices, you can catch little ways where they they save themselves from out and out um, misrepresenting this and saying, oh, yes, he was caught. But if you're not, if you're just a regular member of the public, I can definitely see people reading these headlines and saying, ah, yes, he's been caught for sure. Yeah. And that's which I not do a, have a problem with. That's not true. And, you know, I'm not. Well, I am definitely one to criticize the press. I mean, uh, you know, while you all are journalists, uh, I guess I technically count as one as much as I disown the title. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, and m many of my friends are, you know, the press often sucks. And, you know, to everyone's credit, we've talked a lot about that on this show. <laughs> right. I think the main thing that I would would like for you listening to take away is to read past headlines please 
because as much as people complain as well about the media misrepresenting this, that, and the other, usually, like I said, there's little ways in which they technically don't, but if you're not looking, you won't catch it. And honestly, if you read past the headline and read that first graph, that first paragraph, you'll get a better sense of what's happening and you'll get a better sense of the truth if you were to just do that. That is your responsibility. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I do encourage uh, more outlets to get better headline writers. Yeah, oh, that's my true goodness. too. <laughs> oh my Please get better at, at headline writing. But in the meantime... Um, for those of you out there who aren't in charge of that sort of thing, please just read. Because if you honestly, if you have the time to tweet a complaint or tell me at a at a party where I didn't ask about how much the media lies to you because headlines are are full of of BS, you have the time to read past them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd agree with that, Kirsten. Uh, yeah, but uh, definitely, I guess. I guess we'll never at we'll least never have a deliberate answer unless they're able to find yeah. some more concrete evidence. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's pointing in his direction, but that's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, even yeah. if he were alive, them that all that alone wouldn't be enough for a criminal conviction. Right. I think it's definitely it's certainly enough to suspect him. Um, and I'm really thinking that it could be. But like you said, it's it's not nearly enough to put him on trial with. And that's kind of my standard of of information, of evidence when it comes to things like this, because if he were alive and this accusation was floating around, um, it would ruin whatever was left of his life. Right. Yeah. Uh, getting accused of being one of the most notorious mass murderers in American history. Yeah. Probably would destroy your reputation. Put a little damper on on your reputation. You know, when you want to go out to the grocery store or something, people might look at you a little funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's something. And I guess uh, to kind of leave this on a slightly lighter note, because that is a <laughs> rough one. Uh, yeah, there's sorry. one person in the United States who has definitely took a sigh of relief when they saw that last week. Oh? Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> see, I debated on whether or not <laughs> I should put uh, a hey, Ted Cruz joke in here. But... Hey, 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 hey. To, listen, I to Ted Cruz's credit, to Ted Cruz's credit, uh, he has fully embraced that joke. You know what? Say what you will about the man's politics, of which uh, I, we've actually talked about him before on this show. Um, say what you will about his politics or anything or what he does in office or out. He does know how to take a darn joke very well. At the very, very, very least. <laughs> and you know what? I will never forget. I don't know if you've ever seen this one really famous vine where these guys went to a, a presidential rally of his with a sign <laughs> and it had something to do with like his face and the Zodiac killer sketch. And they held it up and they were like, tell us the truth. We want the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, I think that'll live rent free in my head forever. <laughs> Truly. Until until proven otherwise, Ted Cruz will always be my Zodiac killer. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> I, I guess with the, we have like on that very jokey note, we have like five minutes left. So I'm just gonna take uh, I'm gonna take a moment, put my feet up, not literally. Uh, don't do that, kids. If I was you're gonna say, to me. <laughs> as the as you know, the person who is the guardian of that equipment, essentially. <laughs> Uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. I, I, I'm just being metaphorical. Yeah. Um, so with the with the kind of remaining time we have left, this is a story I did not actually do. This was going to be my alternate story if I didn't do the one I was doing this week. Okay. And I just want to say, real quick, we're not going to get into a full blown discussion about this because we have to be out here in, out of here in five minutes. Uh, well, seven actually. Uh. You know, Dave Chappelle, uh, I did not follow that discourse very closely because, thank goodness, I was with my family and had better things to do. Uh-huh. But uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Dave Chappelle released a new comedy special on Netflix there about a week ago, uh, Closer, I believe it's called. And it's generated a lot of controversy because if you've been paying to, to Dave Chappelle... Who, for those of you who don't know who Chappelle is, and if you don't, you live under a rock, uh, because how can you not know one of the most famous contemporary comedians? Right. Um, anyways, uh, Chappelle's wildly famous. He hosted a show back in the early 2000s on Comedy Central, The Chappelle Show. Some of those legendary skits I can think of in modern American comedy. Uh, could not play any of them on Blaze. Uh, my... My personal favorite of Chappelle's is The Black Klansman, if you've ever seen it. Uh, the If any of you seen that sketch uh, on The Chappelle Show? No. It is, I can't even start to explain it without uh, using words that would get me booted off air. Didn't but they make a movie about that? Right? No, 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 no. no I, different I feel thing. like an old person saying it. Like, didn't they make a movie about that? <laughs> That's a Spike Lee movie about a completely different thing. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, the... Safe for air summary of that skit is basically a blind, a uh, blind black man w- winds up becoming. Oh, I have cla- seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and he's an avid racist <laughs> because he fully believes that he is white. Yeah, it's hilarious, and also could not even play a clip of that on oh, here God, without getting no. blasted off air. Uh, I would have to throw the book at myself, and I'm not doing that. Right, um, but yeah, that that sketch is. As much as you're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is being said right now. It's pretty funny. Oh, it is absurdly <laughs> hilarious. Chappelle has, has long been somebody I just found is to be one of the most hilarious people in the United States, which is why everything I'm going to talk about for the next two minutes is going to be really disappointing. So anyway, so in uh, kind of in recent history with his past couple. So he's had a couple of Netflix comedy specials and he's kind of uh gotten some criticism for you know uh laughing at rather than with the trans community and he kind of went all out on this on the closer special and a lot of uh trans people were very mad uh and other allies of the trans community over what they what they in my personal view rightfully perceive somebody once again it's the difference between laughing at and laughing with somebody what makes the Black Klansman skit I just mentioned earlier wildly hilarious is that he we're laughing with him. And I mean, and what kind of disappointed me doubly so on Chappelle doing, you know, kind of laughing at the trans community, kind of directing all these, you know, jokes that I think 
which we're not even going to get into the should Netflix have aired it debate. That's an entirely separate conversation. I'm just talking about the morality of, you know, Chappelle doing this, not what not Netflix's role, which is a separate story, which is even messier. Mm, um, yeah. I heard they fired uh, an employee for organizing or helping to organize a walkout of that, employees. That, that's part of the reason they also said that she was leaking uh, trade secrets with um, like the numbers of people who viewed it, because that's not something they share publicly. Yeah. Netflix is very secretive about that stuff. So anyways, so, yeah, we're not going to talk about Netflix. I'm just focusing on Chappelle with right. limited time. And I just want to say before we leave, you know, kind of disappointed with the way he's kind of handled it. It just seems like he's just, you know, going and he's punching down instead of up. Trans people are not exactly a the most well-favored group of people in this country. And, you know, and it doubly disappoints me because Chappelle, of anybody should know this, the reason why the Chappelle show didn't last very long was, you know, once he saw, like, white racists, la you know, laughing along, he was like, oh, my goodness gracious. Like, uh, I feel like I'm doing something not great here. Like, this was meant to be, you know, me laughing at American racism, not me endorsing American racism. And he, you know, pulled the plug and walked away at like the top of his career and, you know, went off and and, you know, went off a legend basically in the early 2000s. And, you know, it's just deeply disappointing as somebody who, you know, just goes back and watches old Chappelle show skits and just laughs at them like no man's business because the dude is wildly funny. It's just disappointing to see that, you know, one, he knows he knows better than to punch down. And then two, right. like of anybody, he knows better. He's literally walked away and in an attempt to not even be seen as punching down. Right. And to this is just wrong. Like, I'm not, um, once again, not getting into the debate of right. Netflix. But well, yeah, I'm, I looking, just I'm looking right now because I, I wasn't I was aware that he had done something, but not of exactly what. And for those of you who aren't aware, I'm reading a Times article that says he comments on mockingly, he mockingly comments on transgender people and aligns himself with author J.K. Rowling as quote unquote team TERF, which if you don't know, TERF strands stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist, which are basically feminists, quote unquote, who have chosen to exclude trans women from their definition of what makes a woman. Um, and in my personal view, this is a, a personal opinion, but I don't think it's all that hot of a take. If you're a TERF, you're not a feminist. Yeah, I, I feel like that's not a particularly hot take. Um, anyways... Standing against other women's rights makes mm -hmm. you not a feminist. Yeah, Sorry. I agree. And I, I, I haven't seen Dave Chappelle's... It... What is, is it a series or uh, no? It's a special. It's a comedy. You know, he's one of the comedians that got a deal with Netflix a couple of years ago. Yeah, and yeah. he's been turning out comedy specials over the past year. So this is one of the new ones, closer. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not giving this. I, I my view as somebody who thinks what Chappelle's been saying about the trans community is just kind of disgusting. My personal view on it is, don't watch the special. That's my personal opinion. That's what I'm doing. If you if you're on the same side as me as this, I hope you do. Likewise, mm -hmm. if you're not, you're wrong. I think you're wrong and morally wrong. Uh, and we're not going to 
and I just don't want to talk about it with you. Trans rights that? are human rights. How about it? Yes, they are. Agreed. Trans rights are human rights. Um, and on that note, we have to get off the air now. Um, anyways, thank you for that impromptu discussion on that. That was almost going to be my main story today. Hurrah. Um, anyways, uh, with that, now we filled our time and now we're about to we're basically going over thank you for listening to the review squared on blaze radio and blaze find us on twitter we'll miss you if you don't yes at review underscore squared at review underscore squared follow us we do post stuff there actually yeah it's pretty cool too yeah <laughs> and uh also you can listen to us wherever you get podcasts uh leave a review and rate us on apple podcasts especially we are, you can also find us on Spotify and just about anywhere you can procure podcasts. Anyways, thank you. Have a wonderful week, and we will be back. Oh, I won't be on air next week, unfortunately. I'm just going to announce that ahead of time. Yes, me not being on the Review Squared. Uh, astonishingly rare. This is only the yeah. second time it's happened. And I'll be in the driver's seat, which is even scarier. Yeah, Kirsten, Kirsten. <laughs> Kirsten takes over my role as producer next week, which, yeah! Ah! <laughs> so, and now we really do need to go. So Yes, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you all soon, I guess. Bye. Bye. The song at the start of the episode is dedicated to the press by Betty Davis, and the music you hear is by Springtime. <laughs>